If you have to go early, I'm just going to go ahead and give you my main point, if that's okay. I won't be offended if you decide to leave early. I promise to not go too long, so if you do get up to leave, then there's no offense here. But this kind of climax, as we come to the end of this letter, it's all about a gospel encouragement. And so Gabe mentioned it when he had his little sermonette. You can't give the guy a microphone without him preaching. <clears throat> Is we don't know what you came in with. We, we know a lot of your stories, the elders, the deacons, the leaders in our church. We know most of you in the room. But there are things in your life that we probably don't know. And what we do know is that a lot of you are coming in week after week with heavy weight. You're carrying baggage, and it's, it's wearing you out. It's wearing you down. And so this morning, I just want you to be encouraged. That's my only goal this morning, is that you leave here encouraged. And so uh, as we start, I want to tell you how I was encouraged, if that's okay. And then we're going to read from Hebrews 13. So uh, this morning, um, sermon Sundays are early Sundays. So I get up early, usually have a few hours in the morning before my kids wake up. And uh, I was, usually they're up like right at seven on the nose every, every day, right? Except for the days when you don't want them to be up early and then they get up at 6.30. So that's just the way it goes. Welcome to parenthood for those of you who are new to it. If you're not there yet, there's something to look forward to. Anyways, so I'm, at this, at this point, the kids are sleeping in, right? It's 7.15, and I'm about to walk out the door, and Mary London, my five-year-old, is coming down, and, you know, she just got up, and she's there. She's the only one awake at this point. It's me and her. And she, I'm, I've got my cup of water and my coffee and my Bible, and she walks up to me, give me a big hug, and she just says, Daddy, preach good. And I was like, man, yes. Like, she has no idea what I'm preaching on. She doesn't even know how to find the letter of Hebrews in her Bible. And yet she knows the importance and the significance of what we do when we come together as a church. And so it's the little things. And so what I want to do to you this morning is just kind of give you that, like, cling to your leg and just encourage you. Not in a weird way, I promise. But just, like, I want you to leave here encouraged in the gospel, okay? So let's read Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 22, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. There is a genuine encouragement in this benediction, verse 20 and 21. I want to spend most of our time in those two verses, and then as we close out, we'll go down to verse 22 in the final words of this letter. If you haven't been around uh, throughout Hebrews, I want to sum it up real quick. Hebrews is all about glorifying Jesus in every part of our life. At the beginning of Hebrews, we get these 
Jesus is better than statements, right? Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the priests. He's better than the sacrificial system. He's better than Melchizedek, right? The high priest. Jesus is better than the Torah. He's better than Moses. You get Hebrews 11, right? The hall of faith. Jesus is better than all of them. And so the encouragement today is that whatever it is in your life, Jesus is better than that too. And I think so oftentimes we forget that, that Jesus, the, the great Savior, has walked where you are now. He came as a human, right? Fully God, yes, but fully man. And so the trials and the tribulations we read from John 16, and we're going to get there in just a minute to open up the service. Jesus came so that we might be brought back to his Father, right? That is the will of God the Father. So this benediction, I kind of call it a, a better benediction. The church that I grew up in, um, we clo- would close every service with the Irish blessing, which there's some biblical nature to it, but it, it seems very prosperity-driven. So I want to kind of take it apart if you're all right with it, okay? So it goes something like this. Uh, this is what I'm going to label a flawed benediction. It's not unbiblical, okay? So hear me say it. It's not unbiblical. It's just flawed, okay? You've, you've heard this before. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we get, meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Have you heard that? Who is the central figure in the Irish blessing? You are. I am. It's very self-centered. It's flawed. It's biblical. It sounds a lot like number six, right? This is, um, listen to this. It says, the Lord, may the Lord bless you and keep you, right? These words sound very similar, but notice the, the shift of focus. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep, may, may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you, this is the key word of our encouragement today, may the Lord give you peace. Do you see the difference between these two benedictions? The Irish blessing and the words from Numbers chapter 6. See, the gospel, I think our misunderstanding of the gospel is we place ourselves in the center of the gospel story. The gospel story is not about us. The gospel story is about a good and loving God who does use us in the gospel narrative, but we're not the primary focus of the gospel. And so what I want to do now is as we go back through this benediction, what I'm going to call a better benediction, is I want you to see these key phrases and take them apart. If you were here a few weeks ago uh, when I was preaching from Hebrews chapter 12, peace was a big theme there too. And I gave you a definition by an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann, and he defines peace, shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, as the dream of God for his people, okay? The desire, what God has for us is peace. It's what he's designed us for, right? And I want to take this from verse 20. It says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. God of peace, don't miss that. This is the most important part of the gospel narrative, is that Peace only comes from God. Shalom only comes from God. Later in the same book where uh, Brueggemann gives us this definition, he, he redefines it or expounds his definition a little bit, and he says this. He says, Shalom is 
flourishing wholeness of creation into the purposes of God. There are a few words I want you to really rest in. Flourishing wholeness. Think about it. We're not just meant to be passive. Peace isn't passive, right? I think so oftentimes we think peace is like the absence of something. Peace isn't the absence of anything. Peace is the presence of God. That's it. It's not the absence of war. It's not the absence of tension. It's not the absence of racism or hatred or all of the things that our world is full of. It's the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is peace. That is a flourishing wholeness, completeness. But listen to how he finishes the definition. It's a flourishing wholeness of creation into the what? The purposes of God. The Irish blessing is more about our stuff, right? May my fields flourish. May, may I flourish. May I be better. The gospel is about may, may God's will be done. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. So from peace, we shift to what? Resurrection, right? This is, this is the climax of human history now. This is where all of human history hinges, where it was all we were running, running, running away from God. We had no way to get back. We had the law and we had the sacrifices, but there was nothing that we could do to get back into the presence of God. And then God sends his son. This is the pivot. But it wasn't just enough for his son to come. He had to be perfect. He had to live perfectly, and he had to die. It's not just like some, oh, God died. He felt pain. He died. He suffered. The suffering servant is a name that we give to Jesus because it was brutal. It was a brutal death. But he couldn't stay dead either. Right? That's the gospel. It wasn't that Jesus just came and he died and now we're made right with God the Father. He had, he had to rise again. He had to defeat death. He had to usher in peace. That is what he did in the resurrection. This run-on sentence, this benediction it keeps going. I love that how every time we move, we get more and more of the nature and character of who God is, right? May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the resurrection. Now we get a definition of Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. We, you don't think a lot about sheep, do you? I'm just, I'm going out on a limb here. Do you think about sheep often? Probably not. Uh, Am I, am I wrong? I'm not wrong? Okay. I don't ever think about sheep either until I read the Bible. <laughs> and then I think about sheep, but I don't know anything about sheep. Right? There's a picture of the sheep, you know, he's got his big wool, nobody's ever cut him, and he looks miserable. Right? He has no shepherd. But the shepherd's role was not just to guide the sheep, right? So he would, you know, whatever, move them around. You know, that was part of his job, but it was also to protect them. When the enemy came, when a, when a wolf would come, like, he was first man up. He would use his staff that he would use to guide them to beat off the enemy. There was blood shed to preserve the sheep. So this, is the, this is the metaphor that we get for Jesus. We are the sheep, and we have been ushered, right? We have been guided. This is what the Bible is doing. It's stewarding our lives towards Christ-likeness. This is sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. This is part of our salvation. And yet there had to be a good shepherd, a better shepherd, 
who wasn't willing just to fight off the enemy. He was willing to die. There was blood shed. Listen to how it keeps going. The great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. The Old Testament's full of covenants, right? And all of them have these, you know, land, seed, and blessing. It's a covenant. It was paid for, it was bought, it was fulfilled. But then we get into Jesus, we get into the New Testament in an eternal covenant. All of the, all of the law has been fulfilled. We've been made new, we've been brought back to right standing with God by the blood of the eternal covenant. What's the key word? Eternal. So here's, your, here's another drip of encouragement. There's nothing you can do to make Jesus stop loving you. Not a single thing. There's not a single thing in the human history that Jesus didn't die for. There's not one sin where he looks at it and he says, you know, Father, uh, that one, I didn't die for that one. I'm going to have to redo. Let me go back. I'll die again. Resurrect again because I left that one out. It was a perfect atonement. The blood of an eternal covenant means that nothing you or I can ever do will separate us from God. Never again will we be cast out of Eden. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the encouragement. Folks, leave it at the door. I think shepherds say folks. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> I'm feeling a farmer-like. All right? Leave it at the door. Leave it or give it to one of us. Let us take it. You heard me say this a few weeks ago. This is, this is what peace looks like. Peace is only found in community, Christian community, right? Uh, I, I'm not a scholar of other religions, uh, but I have studied them some, and I, I know that there's no hope in the Muslim religion. There's no final hope there because of this. There is no encouragement of an eternal covenant. There, there's constant new works that must be fulfilled in order to keep in right standing, Okay? It's dependent on me and you. The, the Christian faith says, no, 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 there's nothing you and I can do to get closer to God. We had to have a mediator. We had to have a savior. Someone had to come in our place. Someone had to die the death that I deserve, the death that you deserve, so that we may be brought new, brought back by the blood of the eternal covenant. We keep going with this run-on sentence. Linguistically, it gets a little challenging, so we're going to try to go back and give context to verbs and all that kind of stuff. I was terrible at English, but I did pretty good in Greek. I'm just kidding. If you know English, you can do, you'll do better in Greek. So if you ever have to study the original languages, learn English first. It will help. Okay? <laughs> Listen to verse 21. Equip you. Let's go back to context. Now may the God of peace equip you. Okay? With everything good that you may do his will, the God of peace's will, his will, God the Father. Working, God, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. See, all the things that God does is for him, is for his glory. Do you understand that? When we come and we worship, it's not so much for our renewal, it's not so much for our sanctification as it is for his purposes. It's for his glory. We come together, we gather, yes, so that we may be renewed, so that we may be encouraged, but we do it in order to sing praises to his name. 
You see, there was a time, this is go back to the beginning, when all was right in the world. In our relationship with God, there was no tension there. There was no friction. There was no fraction. It was whole. Man and God together in the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. Until it wasn't. And the promise that we have, this eternal covenant, is that we're going to be back there. Right? That is the coming promise. That is the encouragement that we get. That which is pleasing in his sight. It sounds a lot like what Christ said on the cross. Not my will, but yours. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's Hebrews. That's what the whole letter is about. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 1, do it if you have your Bible. Flip over to Hebrews 1. I promise we're not restarting the sermon series. Listen to the introduction to this letter. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1. long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Glory is found at the right hand of the Father, and the way we began is the way that we end one of the ways that we identify who God is is he's the beginning and the end, the alpha and omega. This is what the Bible tells us. This is one of the promises we have in his word. That he was before there was and he will be until there is not. Okay? This is who God is. I want to go back to Brueggemann for just a second because this idea of peace is the ultimate form of encouragement. In, in my life, me personally, where I find peace, true peace, when I feel peace, okay, let's, let's be real with it, right? Because there's not, there are days when I don't feel peace. I'm here. And this sounds super cheesy. I don't mean it to be cheesy. The days when I actually experience the peace of God, I have spent time with him. That's the application here. And maybe you don't know how to do that, and that's Okay. Because we do a terrible job of teaching people how to do that, right? We give you a checklist, a chronological Bible reading plan. You still doing it? Okay. That's what we do. We turn our spiritual formation into a checklist, and guess what? We don't get formed. Certainly, God can use a spiritual checklist, and he can form the mess out of your soul. But sometimes we just need to dive in, to wrestle with the text of what God has for us. We, we read from John 16. I'm going to go back real quick, if that's okay. Because there are days, like John 16. 
We'll see where to go. Here we are. Okay. This, I'm just going to go to the end because you've already heard the context. Are we good? Verse 33, John 16, 33. This is going back to a flawed benediction versus a better benediction. I've said these things to you that in me you may have, what does it say? I'm sorry. Peace. We've been here for 21 minutes, guys. It's peace. Jesus. It's also the right answer, okay? It always is the right answer. It always works out. Listen to this, the end of verse 33. In the world, you will have, what does it say there? Tribulation. You will have trouble. Right? The Irish blessing says there is, like, we pray no, no trouble was ever going to come. Read your Bible. Read it. Because what does Paul's life look like? Did it, did, he, did it look like the road rose to meet him? Did it look like the sun was always on his face or back or wherever it's supposed to be? No. His days were long. Most of what we have from Paul was written from prison. Have you been to prison? Me either. But I imagine it's terrible. <laughs> okay? Sometimes following Jesus is really hard. Sometimes, and this is the promise of the Bible, it'll cost you everything. There's your encouragement. <laughs> Whatever you have, let it go. It's going to die. Right? In Jesus' name, amen. But that's a real thing. That is real. I have said these things to you that in me, in me, you may have peace. This is why we're constantly pointing back to Jesus from up here. This is, all we're doing is like we just hold up a sign. Well, we had a sign last week for pastor appreciation. It, there was a backside to it. I'll make sure you see it at some point. But our job is just to stand up here and say, look to Jesus. Every song we sing, every text we preach from, every time we're in small group, every time you're at Jethro's, every time you're anywhere, it's just look to Jesus. That's it. But it's not that easy, is it? Sometimes I need you to tell me to look to Jesus, and sometimes I need to tell you to look to Jesus. Sometimes I need my five-year-old to run up to me and say, Dad, just talk about Jesus. Right? This is what it looks like to walk in community. Let's go back to Hebrews. This idea of shalom. The problem, I, so I, in seminary, you have to study the original languages, and it's real challenging. And so you study Greek and you study Hebrew. I did better with Hebrew because it was, there was, more, it was more symbolic, right? I could see the letters better. I don't know, and you read backwards, which was different than reading in English. So it, you could separate the two. But one of the things, the sh when you translate words, you, miss, you lose out on meaning a lot of times, don't you? And maybe you've realized this in some of your schooling or reading or whatever. But shalom is the word where we lose a lot. We lose a lot of the context. We lose a lot of the meat. We lo lose a lot of the oomph of shalom when we translate it with the word peace. Because we, we lack an understanding of, of the totality of shalom, right? So peace is what we would define as peace. Shalom is that, but it is so much more than that. And where Brueggemann, his whole point is that shalom is shared, okay? I'm going to go back and read you another quote. He says that shalom is about social, economic, and political well-being or flourishing. 
Sounds like community, Christian community. People are bound not only to God, but to one another in a caring and sharing community. See, what we've been called to is is not just that we follow Jesus, right? We have been called to do that. But we have been called to walk together. This This is why we do church. You understand that, right? This is why we gather together. We weren't, Christianity cannot be lived out in isolation. It cannot happen. The desert monks read, so early church, right? The church was planted, you see in Acts. Then you have the early church fathers through like the fifth century. And then you see the guys who started fleeing community because it was getting really hard. The guys who would just hold up in a cave and they would stand up for an entire year. These are the desert fathers, okay? Look them up, Google them. I don't know what Google will say about them, but they're real people. And they were really spiritual, but they lacked community. There was no one in their life to keep pointing them towards Jesus. You've heard me say this a hundred times. Our role as Christians is to be the crossing guard of the gospel. No, this way. No, this way. Follow after Jesus. I love how this benediction closes because it gives us this context of shalom, this peace of God. To whom be glory forever. Right Now we're back to this eternal element. There's weight there. There's significance forever and ever. Or as you'll hear kids say, and ever 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 and ever. Amen. Amen. As we move into verse 22, we keep the theme, but now we're getting personal. Benediction is this corporate kind of blessing, right? This prayer. And is there a, I don't know if a more beautiful prayer has ever been prayed than the one we just read. But then we get into the, this final greeting, this last goodbye, if you will. Listen to what it says, verse 22. I appeal to you. I appeal to you, brothers. Bear with my word of exhortation. He knows that what he's writing carries weight. He knows that he's writing to a people who are going, they need exhortation. They need direction, but they also need this encouragement. For I have written to you briefly. It only take a church in 2021, a year and a half to go through it. It's brief though. Verse 23, you should know that our brother, please listen to the language. I don't know how you talk about me behind my back. I know how I talk about you behind your back. It's all good. I don't know how we talk about each other but I sure wish we talked more like this. I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother, our sister, Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. There is beauty in community. I'm 36. I don't know how, you thought, how old you thought I was, but I'm 36. <laughs> And uh, what I've learned, certainly over the last five years or so, is that there's nothing more valuable than having people in your life who will call you a brother. And not biological. I've got a lot of biological brothers, and I love them deeply. But a spiritual brother, a spiritual sister, there's no comparison in human relationship than one of those. And so if you don't have it, will you find it? If you need someone to bring it out, will you come to one of us? There are people wearing green lanyards. 
They'll get you, they'll help you get connected. They'll help you find these people who will call you in the middle of the night when you know that you're on the run, know that you're on the ropes and say, brother, will you come back? Sister, will you hear this word from the Lord? The Timothy that's here is the Timothy that Paul is often writing to or he's writing with, okay? So what this does, we're back to who wrote Hebrews, okay? So we're going to close it the way that we started. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but this gives us a really good clue. It wasn't Paul. Maybe it was. I don't know. But it was certainly within Paul's circle of influence. And why is that important? Because of discipleship. If it wasn't Paul, it was somebody who Paul discipled. And it sounds a lot like Paul, does it not? When you read these words, it sounds like someone who's deeply influenced by a very godly person. This is all somebody, somebody and the people who really cared for Timothy. The last thing this author wants them to know is that, hey, your brother's okay. He's out. <laughs> they let him go, okay? And as soon as we can, we're coming back to see you because we love you. Megan and I planted a church in Dallas almost eight years ago, and we left. And it was hard. It was really hard. But these, we don't write letters to each other anymore, but the text messages that you, that you receive, the words of encouragement, and even back and forth, just this kind of stuff carries so much weight and significance for our spiritual lives. When we, when we left, we had this longing to go back. Have you ever left something that you loved? because you felt like God was calling you into this new season and it doesn't really make sense and nobody in your life knows that what you're doing, they all think you're crazy. My parents are here, they thought we were crazy. They didn't say it, but you could see it, right? Maybe we were crazy, but by God, we heard the Lord directly from him and he was, he was pushing us. He was pushing us out of comfortability. He was pushing us out of reluctance. He was pushing us into this deep, sense of his presence. And I know, I know me, that I'm not going to do that on my own. I needed people to push me, to guide me, to lead me, to challenge me, both in both directions, stay or leave. Leaving what you love is hard, and this writer left the people that he loves, and you can see the tenderness and the care that he has. Listen to how he finishes Verse 24, greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. There's some significance here. Did you know that uh, the branch is a church plant? Did you guys know that? So, I mean, this is our cool church building. Um, we don't have a cross. They won't let us put one up, but uh, this is our space, okay? We're a church plant, seven years old, right? Planted out of a vision that God had given Gabe and his family, and here we are, praise God, okay? And that's okay to say amen and hoop and holler right now if you want to, because most church plants don't make it seven years. Seriously, you can hoop and holler right now if you want to, and I'm not asking, I'm telling you to do it, okay? Listen to what this says. Those who come from Italy, why does that matter? The church got its start out of Rome, and it's spreading. Now it's in all of Italy. Do you understand the, the significance there? You, when you read Paul, it's often the people of Rome, right? The whole letter was written to a specific people in Rome, but now the, the gospel has escaped the city limits. 
What would it look like if the gospel escaped this building? What would it look like if the gospel escaped the city or the county or the state or the country or the world? What would it look like if we let loose, we stopped being timid, we stopped being scared of what other people would think? What if we said the good news is actually good news and let me tell it to you? What do you think would happen? Something would happen. Nothing would not happen, okay? Something amazing would happen. You know what we call it? This is a Greek word. It's called revival. Have you ever prayed for revival? And I'm not talking like church tent revival. I'm sure there's a place for those. I don't know. I'm a skeptic. But like authentic revival? What does it look like for a people to be so committed to the gospel that it spreads like a disease? That's what God has called us to. That's our final encouragement. And then what does he say? The last words he gives us is grace be with all of you. Grace. What is grace? Grace is getting something that you did not deserve. Plain and simple. This is a church, this is a people who had everything taken from them. On the run, from persecution, the church is crippling. They've infighting, starting new denominations, new church splits, right, the whole thing. And what is the last words that this writer gives those people? Grace. Grace be with you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Grace. Because what God has done is he's given you and he's given me something that we did not deserve. For our good and his pleasure. That's worship. That's your encouragement. May the God of peace who sent his son, who died, was buried, and rose again. There's a covenant there, the eternal covenant, is that he's going to come back. He will renew all things. One day peace will be made known. Peace will be a reality. Peace will be among us. Amen. I hope you enjoyed Hebrews. I, I pray that we won't let loose of it. I pray that we hold on to this letter all the days of our lives because Jesus is better. He's better. He's better than whatever you brought in here this morning. I promise you that. Know this. We love you. I love you. My family loves you. We love the way that you love us. Thank you for that. May grace be with you always. We're going to transition into a time of communion. Communion is back, folks. Amen. Just for a brief second, I'm going to stop my clock. This doesn't count as part of my sermon time. Will you take this moment, take the bread, take the cup, and will you remember that the God of peace, that Jesus came, that's his blood, that's his body, broken for you, broken for me. And then whatever it is, just whatever the garbages that you brought in, just leave it back there. Put it on the table. It's a black cloth. We can't see it anyways. I'll be back there. Gabe will be back there. Some, the other people will be back there. If you need to talk to somebody, if you need to pray, will you come find us? We, we want to walk with you. That's our covenant. There's nothing that you're going to bring to us that we're going to be like, ooh, this is not the place for you. Okay? We love you. Will you respond? Will you 
Go, take the bread, take the cup. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we just cannot thank you enough for your sovereignty in leaving us this word, this letter, so tenderly written to a people who desperately needed to hear it. And we know and we believe that we need to hear it. And so as we move into a time of communion and response, would, would you soften the calluses of our heart to see you clearly? Will you give us a, a tenderness for one another where we genuinely look at each other as brothers and sisters? May we be stewards of peace in a world that doesn't know it, but longs for it. Would the gospel drip and creep outside of this building to the world without end? We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and we pray in his beautiful name. Amen. Amen.